When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Home. I think it's fair to say it's been a pretty eventful week uh, to be a Liverpool fan with lots of reaction to our lack of activity in the transfer market as well as the draw against Chelsea. So tonight we're going to take a look a little bit on the Chelsea game. Uh, we're going to look at some of the talking points off the back of that. We're also going to look at online reactions, whether that's to the transfer market, whether it's to performances, we're obviously going to talk about FSG and their recruitment strategy as there's been much online about that at the moment. How do we stack up against our rivals in terms of squads? And then, of course, back by popular demand, we will be talking about our winners and losers of the week. So joining me to discuss all of that tonight, we have Gav, we have Phil, we have Keith. Phil, sorry to make you have to do this after being sick as a parrot after watching the Ireland game. Are you OK, mate? Yeah, nice little pun there on, on Troy, yeah. He didn't. He didn't Sorry. actually. He didn't actually get on. But yeah, it was all. It was all set up for Ronaldo to break the record tonight. Gets a, a gift of a peno in the first half. Azunu saves it. You think this could be Ireland's night? John Egan scores. Egan in the headlines. I was delighted with that. And then uh, two minutes ago, Ronaldo equalizes with a header, and pretty much identical goal to to get the winner. And to be honest, if he missed the header, the ref probably would have headed it in. To be honest, so, yeah. it's just one, it's just one of those like fairly heartbreaking. You could just see that our our lads were by the the hour mark. We were just hanging on, and it looked like we might get away with it, but not to be. And plenty of encouraging signs there. But yeah, Ronaldo even he took off his shirt when they won, or he got he the winner. Well, to be fair to him, didn't he? And, ah, like in fairness, he's he's in immaculate <laughs> shape for a thirty six year old, but also. The ref was almost afraid to book him for taking his shirt off. And yeah. I'd say the ref was probably sitting in there with, with him in the changing room getting his jersey signed. It's like, you know. Yeah. So, a bit of a sickener. But they have two home games now. So, do you know what? I, going into the game, I just thought if Ireland need a performance. I didn't. I never thought we were going to win the game. But the fact that they played so well in the in the first half, I think anyone that has doubts over Stephen Kenny might have just said, do you know what? There's, there's something good that could happen. It's a very young team. So, who knows? Maybe the future isn't as, as bleak as people think. Keith, come to you. It's uh, been an eventful week to be online and be a Liverpool fan. Are you enjoying your Twitter sabbatical, the piece? <laughs> this is what it's all about, Jay. This is what it's all about. This is what it's been gearing up for. I tell you, uh, Twitter is just so toxic, right? And, you know, people say, ah, it's just, it's Twitter. Some people enjoyed it, the toxicity of it all and having the little arguments and all that. But I just found that I was getting into stupid arguments with fellas, Liverpool fans in the main. Stupid arguments all the time. I says, nah, this isn't worth it. I'm getting out of it. And, yeah, I've, 
I've never been as grateful for being out because I've been getting snippets of what's been going on. You know, as you do, you know what's sort of happening in, in the Twitterverse and my Jesus this week. Um, you nearly find yourself being a bit of a sadist and saying, do you know what? I hope they announce a Divock contract extension here just to piss all these off because the meltdown that went on, you know, was... I'm sure most clubs have this, and we're just looking at it through Liverpool, the Liverpool lens. But I'd be surprised if we're not up one of the the, the gold medal standards for shy bags on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? We have to be up in the blade mix there because you know it's it's just so toxic. It's terrible. It's you know people can have opinions, and that's all great. You know we we have our own opinions on things. You don't always have to agree on them. But the the line in the sand and the you say this or you say that now just it's got too much you know what I mean and too many faceless people and people hiding behind you know avatars and hiding behind names and all no, no, it's not for me do you know what I mean stuff that people wouldn't say to you in the pub they've no problem saying to you on Twitter do you know what I mean and people say all sorts of shit in the pub so imagine then you know what they're saying on Twitter so now got out of it said so, now need a break. Had a full head of hair at the start of the summer. No, you fucking didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I, didn't. Gav, I feel like I did. Gav, is it fair to say that you just want me to get through this show as quickly as possible so we can get to winners and losers? A hundred percent. It's absolutely a hundred percent. People in the chat will most definitely guess who my losers are, but I have a little bit of a surprise for winners. Um, but listen, I could knock Chelsea the transfer window. Um, stats, players, everything on the head, and we could just do an hour and a half about <laughs> Arsenal and um and the winners and, and stuff like that. But now look, um there's loads to come on the show and I'm looking forward to it. And I have chance. So it's all good. Perfect. And I've got a Guinness as well. So uh slant it. Right, Phil, I want to come to you first because I wanna I know the lads have, have done the fat back four and they've obviously given a little bit of their reaction and I don't want to dwell too much into the uh into the Chelsea game. But there's a couple of things I want to touch on. But first of all, what were your what was your reaction uh to the result? Because for me I was I have to admit I was a little bit surprised at some of the negativity that come off the back of that, uh, the back of that game. Uh, not much credit towards Chelsea, and more sort of picking holes in in Liverpool. How did you feel off the back of the game? Yeah, well, initially when the full time whistle went, I thought missed opportunity. You know, you, you're one all a half time. Uh, they're, they're down to ten men. Like you said, Chelsea deserve credit. You can see how well organised they are under Tuchel. I'm sure it's something they work on on the training ground, how to deal with playing with 10 men. And he obviously brought Thiago on and they were hard to break down. It felt after about, I think Liverpool got a little bit spooked when Lukaku had that chance in the break, which Matt had dropped or blocked. They're the kind of chances, by the way, that were going in against Liverpool last season where they would press for a goal, get done on the break. They obviously didn't have their their full strength back four, so they concede and then they'd never score. But I kind of felt from the 63rd minute on, Liverpool never really looked like they were going to score. Now, you have to give Chelsea credit and people will say, you know, is this going to be the same thing as last season where Liverpool couldn't break sides down? But the encouraging thing was, say, in, in the Burnley game, Burnley are a team that Liverpool couldn't break down last season. Liverpool had no problem doing that a few weeks ago. So maybe it was just a case that Chelsea were that bloody good at doing it. Um, there was a few things that I thought Klopp was a bit slow to change. I would have liked to see. It was quite clear to me Mane just wasn't at the races. Now, some people are already writing Mane off. I mean, he's he, even at his peak 
at Liverpool. He's had little spells where it just doesn't, the ball doesn't go for him and he takes the wrong option. So I'm certainly not, um, you know, cancel my membership to the Sadio Mane fan club. Um, Robertson, obviously, you know, adrenaline will get you through so much when you come back from an injury, but it was, it was clear it wasn't working for him. So I kind of thought maybe it's a chance, maybe push Elliot up, bring Salah into the middle, put Jota out in the left. Henderson could be part of the, the midfield on the right. Um, there was a few little options, but we didn't really make the changes. And I just thought Chelsea, look, the, they posed a little bit of a threat on the break, but they were basically saying to Liverpool, come and break us down if you can. So I just would have liked to have seen Klopp make a few little tweaks because um, I just felt it was getting a bit crowded with Elliot Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold, where if Henderson had been playing in the in the eight position on the right, where Elliot was playing, maybe Henderson could have got out wide and got a few crosses in. But look, I... If you had said to me before the, the start of the season, going into the first international break, if Liverpool have seven points from nine, would have taken it because I know the Chelsea game was a big one. And, you know, it's it, it, the encouraging thing for me is the Liverpool defence is back and Joe Matip was excellent again. Keith, I'll come to you on, on that very point because before we get to some of maybe the perceived negatives off the back of the game, um, one of the big positives, as Phil rightly says, is is how we handled Lukaku. Um, you know, we didn't really get a sniff, and I think we've got a graphic that compares how he performed against Arsenal. Um, and I think a lot was was made of that in terms of the fact he ran them ragged. You can see that a lot of the balls that he was able to receive were very central. Uh, he was able to create with the white lines. Um, you can see the chances that were created off off the back of them. Whereas if you look at Obviously, the, the the Liverpool graphic, we were able to cut off that supply line and ultimately make him run down the channels. I think there was one that uh, sticks in the memory where Joel Matip got in a running race and basically just knocked him off off the ball and ultimately made one of the, the, the top strikers in the league feed off scraps. It's a real positive. Yeah, it really is. I mean, <clears throat> Romelu Lukaku will score goals for Chelsea, right? But Romelu Lukaku, <clears throat> excuse me, Romelu Lukaku is a flat-track bully. Romelu Lukaku was a flat-track bully when he played for Manchester United. He was a flat-track bully when he played for Inter Milan. He will score goals. And a flat-track bully doesn't just mean he'll score against the bottom half teams. It means he will find the weakest link in the team and he punished them. Now, Arsenal, traditional big team, we know our have things to them. But they're filled with weak links. So Romelu Lukaku will have a field day against a team like Arsenal as much as he'll have a field day against teams like you know Norwich or uh, other teams in the bottom half. Liverpool, what I enjoyed the most about that was how well Joel Matip handled them because we knew he wasn't going to go on to Van Dijk. He was going to play off Matip's side. Um, where being left-footed, naturally, he goes over that way. And anyway, I thought Matip was excellent. I really thought he was excellent. You know, it, it showed that th- there was a hyping up of Romelu Lukaku by Sky and by you know, the media in general, the, the social media, things like that, saying, you know, Lukaku versus Van Dijk, Lukaku versus Van Dijk. And it was unwarranted because it was one that I wasn't overly worried about based on the early performances of the two boys at the back. And it was sort of, you know, the, the Norwich and the Burnley games were glimpses that Liverpool's defensive solidity is coming back. Well, Chelsea, I think, was the confirmation for me that it's back now. We all know this all relies on them staying fit. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think... I think Virgil van Dijk's the best defender in the world. 
And I don't think there's many better than Joe Matip when he's fit either. And if Liverpool can keep these guys fit, you can see the difference in their play. Because the lads are pushed further up, the fullbacks are up further, the defenders are further, everybody is further up the field. And it makes a difference to how we play. We probably should have done better against Chelsea at the weekend. You know, people are saying we didn't create, but I said on the fat back four on Sunday, I don't think there's a better team in probably Europe than Chelsea for dealing with going a man down when it's, uh, uh, you know, they have the capability to bring on a Thiago Silva and put him in there. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they went and made, if anything, harder on the right side by putting Aspilicueta there. Because you know he's not going to be up and down like a Reese James. He's going to be standing in there making the more of a back five. So I just thought it was a hard one to break down. I think people are overreacting to Liverpool not being able to do it. I agree with Phil. I, uh, probably around the same time, actually around the 60th minute onwards, you got the feeling that it wasn't going to happen. But I put that more down to Chelsea being defensively excellent than Liverpool being poor attacking because you're going to have off days. Do you know what I mean? Like We're going to have days where, you know, we know Bobby isn't the most prolific, but he's, he started the season okay. They, they've all started the season okay, but then you've met the, oh, sorry, you've Mane off form and as Phil touched on, you've got Robertson didn't have a great game and then we had Henderson on the left side of the midfield. I thought the left-hand side let us down on in that game, but it's against one of the best teams, this, the European champions. Do you know what I mean? It is against a very good team and... I just think it was an overreaction to a draw. At the as you said, as Phil said, I'd have took seven out of nine. You know, at the start of the season, I'm just taking the positives, as in players coming back. We're starting to see the Liverpool that we all know and love, as in you know, push forward up, defensive solidity, and build it from there. So yeah, I, was, I wasn't as negative about it as others. Someone said in the chat there, I wanted to sell. Um, Mane, I think it was, was selling loads of them, but that's because of the contracts. I have to tie most of them down now. So, you know, what do I know? Gav, I want to come to you because you've been the biggest advocate of Jordan Henderson on the right of a three. Um, and we were doing, I was doing a little bit of analysis with, with Sam Maguire. Shout, shout out to Sam for, for all his help with this work. And one of the things that I think didn't work, and Keith alluded to it there, is Jordan Henderson on the left. And I think we've got a couple of graphics that, that highlight one of the reasons why I, I don't think it worked. And in particular, when you come up against Chelsea, because as Keith said, the best of times, Chelsea are an unbelievably well-coached unit who are very difficult to create chances against. But when you have Jordan Henderson on the left-hand side, and I and I speak as someone who has played in the middle, is fully right-footed, can't do anything with me left. If you get moved on to the left-hand side, you're losing a lot of what Henderson is good at, which is going on the outside, whipping balls into the box. When you go on to the left, everything is unnatural. And as you can see on on the graphic here, when the ball gets played back to Henderson, Chelsea know that Henderson is not going to go on the uh, the outside of, uh, I think it's Mane in this instance. Everything is going to get funneled back through centrally, which plays into Chelsea's hands. We're playing into their block and ultimately they could stay there all day and it would take something very, very special to to beat them. And there's another example, if you just uh, if you just move on, where I think he He's got the ball on the left-hand side. And if you look at the graphic, Andy Robertson has chalk on his boots. If that was a natural left footer or somebody that is comfortable, what they would be looking to do is play that ball into Andy Robertson and then get round the outside of him. And then automatically you are pulling Chelsea out of their shape. That was the one area for me, Gav, that I think we really struggled offensively uh, in that the left side just didn't function and and we ultimately just kept funneling things through the centre. Yeah, 
Um, but, but I think if you're going to play Henderson and Elliot, with Elliot playing that right-hand side um, against Burnley, he plays on that right of the tree in Burnley, I don't see why you're always going to shift the more senior player for me. You know, and in some cases you won't. Some cases you'll you'll say, no, this fella's coming in and I'll find a spot from here. But Elliot's kind of had that spot and he's kind of excelled in that spot. So, you know, Fabinho's there and Fabinho's only back. Um, you have Henderson, he's coming in and he's, he's, he's gone with, he's gone with Elliot. And I was surprised, I was surprised Kate didn't play. You know, I, I would have thought the easier thing to do would have been to put Henderson on the right and put Elliot or put, Kate in the left of the tree, but he doesn't. So I can understand why he doesn't move Elliot because it's a second start for Liverpool, you know, and he's been playing there. Don't shift him. Let him, he's getting comfortable. He's, he's bedding himself in. Don't, don't shift him around. Leave him there. But I know what you're saying when it comes, when it comes to Henderson because like I love Henderson when he's on the right of a tree because of the link up. And don't get me wrong, the link up with Elliot and, and Salah and Trent has been a kind of a standout thing in the first three league games. Sorry, two of them anyway. Um, and yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. A little bit around the side, and I think Kater probably would have got around the, the side a bit more because Kater's come or or break lines. Kater runs through lines; he'll beat um, a man. Yeah, but I, I think Liverpool have been good in their first two games. I thought against Chelsea, I thought they were a better side, but there was, I thought there was something a bit missing because, like, if, if like if I if I bring up that graphic again, right? Um, if I bring up that graphic again, and if you look where if you look where Mane is on it, right? There it is, right? If you look at Manny, now Liverpool are well known for getting that into Robertson and not even taking a touch and he's putting it in behind Azpilicueta and Christensen, I think that is, the two closest um, defenders. Yeah. And you'll see Manny breaking that line in between them two. Not to get through on goal, but to break the back of them and then look to do something. You know, Manny stands a defender up and he tries to go inside or outside him and then you have got Jota there and Salah will come into the picture at some stage. Uh, Elliot is there. And it was just, look... It was one of those days. I think you, I think you kind of have to give credit to Chelsea. I think, like, don't get me wrong. I think Chelsea turned up Anfield and they were a draw. If you'd have given them a draw beforehand, they would have absolutely snapped yeah. your hand off. And I think the first twenty minutes of that showed because Liverpool were all over them, and Chelsea didn't look like they had much interest. A bit like when United used to come to Anfield under Ferguson, because Ferguson's big thing at Anfield was don't lose. He never really went to Anfield to win. And most of the time, he would profit off Liverpool's um, deficiencies, you know, when, when push came to shove. And I think Chelsea score, and they have a good five minutes, but then Liverpool just take it again. I'm, I'm, I think it makes it more difficult with 10 men, because Chelsea, while they're in a system, with 11 for the first 44, 45 minutes of the game. They're most 100% um, taking the draw, you know, when, when it goes to 10. And you see the subs he makes. He brings on another centre-half. You know, he brings on a Kovacic that is good at holding the ball, gets around. Doesn't do an awful lot going forward for me, but he does well in, in defensive situations. But look, it's seven points out of nine. Um, it's a hard game out of the way. You would have loved him to win it. There's no doubt about that. But I think when you look at it overall, <clears throat> I thought we played okay. I think it's still the third game of the season, so it's one of those. And Chelsea, you have to give them... You have to give them... Um, you have to give kudos to Chelsea. Like... I'll put it this way. We went to Stamford Bridge, went 1-0 up, and had that happen to us on 45, 46 minutes, and defended like that until the end and got a draw, you'd be walking away and you'd be pouring over Liverpool. You know, yeah. that sort of way. Oh, you know, Liverpool can play any way. Liverpool can adapt. And Chelsea did. As much as I don't like Tuchel, um, I think he was, 
him and his side played very, very well in that game, especially second half. I don't think they showed enough ambition in the first for the players they have and the way the media built them up was madness. But overall, I think a draw was a fair result and, and both teams, I think, would take it despite us having 11 against 10 for 45 minutes and we move on and go, no harm done, let's go again. But I think that's the way both teams are looking at it. Yeah, there's been a couple of comments in the chat that said that it's just another example of Liverpool struggling against a low block. But I think that's unfair because Burnley came the week before and we absolutely hopped off them. Um, And I think one thing that people forget, like Gav says, when you go down to 10 men, you very rarely lose uh, your defensive shape. You may have to sacrifice an offensive player. So defensively, not much is going to change. But then also what you're doing is you're putting, rather than having Burnley in a low block, you're having world-class World-class footballers and athletes in a low block, and it's a totally different different ball game. So I think that's a little bit unfair. But Phil, I want to come to you because this is a topic that has, as always, created a lot of stare online. It's very divisive. Um, there's a lot of people in the comments already, you know, sharing their opinions around FSG in out. All about you know everybody's um, you know everybody's got an opinion and rightly so. Um, I can understand why people are frustrated. I can understand why people are calm. I'm just keen to have a, a proper chat with you lads to see kind of where your heads are at with it all uh, in terms of, I suppose, A, were you surprised that we didn't do a lot of business? Um, and then I suppose, secondary, do you understand people's frustrations? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do understand people's frustrations. And I also don't think it's simply pick a side, like you either want to FSG out or you're a supporter of FSG. You can appreciate what FSG have done to get the club back to where they belong in terms of the, the redevelopment of the stadium. You know, the fact that they've got a manager of the calibre of Jurgen Klopp to the football club. And you can also be frustrated at what you see as a lack of investment or not strengthening the squad in the way it should be when the squad is at its strongest. You think back to the Champions League win and everyone says, yeah, but they went on and they won the league next season. But still, I would be a firm believer in in adding to a squad when it's most most summers, whether it's only one or two players. So Kanate's come in and I think the, the defender was needed. Obviously, we saw in January, Liverpool didn't want to go after somebody long-term because they wanted Kanate. They wanted to wait for that. But in terms of, I think we've talked about it enough on the, on the podcast about probably bringing in another attacker. And then when you see Firmino go off on Saturday, now, it looked fairly innocuous because I watched the game back the, the following day. Obviously, I knew Firmino would come off with a hamstring injury, but I was looking at him to see, was there a run that he made where you could see him grimace? And in fairness, if Bobby grimaces, you're going to see it because his teeth are that white. <laughs> so um, it didn't look like there was any... It didn't look like he did so, severe damage to it. So we don't know exactly how, how bad it is. But the worry is that if one or two of the attackers get injured... Where's the cover? Um, and that that would have been my frustration that surely there's a player that they could sign that, you know, not necessarily is going to be in the starting 11, but is one that is not raw where you think you can't trust them, but certainly a player that you could throw on in games or you could start in games and you think this, this, uh, this player will give you a threat attack-wise, but also there's still a hell of a lot of room for improvement. And somebody that could play along all those positions in the front. Now I kind of think with the Liverpool attacking options, if there is an injury to one of those players, whether it's Jota, Firmino, Salah or Mane, 
you know, where's the cover? How do you, do you get around it? Do you change formation? Do you say one of them gets injured? Do you put say Salah through the middle? Say Mane gets injured. Do you put Salah through the middle and you put Jota on the left and you bring Elliot up to the right-hand side? And you, you, you don't obviously have Salah out in his, his favourite position, but it's still a bloody good attack. So I can understand the frustration, but also as well, you know, some clubs splurge money. Arsenal have splurged a load of money in the yeah. transfer market, but like they've got some of it's absolute garbage. Like they're just throwing, they're throwing enough. Don't be stealing gaps from funder now for later. Oh. <laughs> I've loads. You don't worry about you. Yeah. Away, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you can sign players and they never actually work out or they never play. So I'm not one that necessarily thinks you have to sign players for the sake of it. You need something shiny. You can. I can understand Klopp looks at a starting eleven and he loves it and he thinks, yeah, this team is is set up nicely. But you just think that maybe one attacking player would have been nice. I'm, I'm not saying we should have got this player, but I look at somebody like Ismail Assar who can play across the front line. He could play right wing, left wing. He could play through the middle. He's blistering pace. That's just an example of a kind of profile of a player where if you join somebody like Liverpool if he wasn't playing week in, week out, he'd be happy enough because he'd be at Liverpool. Gav, if you could pull that graphic back up there, because I want to come to you. Um, there's a couple of people that have mentioned it in the chat is, is uh, Mo Chatteris, um tweets that he put out today. And one of them that we've got up on the screen now basically ranks um, outgoing spend and incoming spend on transfers of the top 13 clubs ranked in the, the, the Deloitte, um, uh, in the Deloitte Money League. Now, as you can see on the graphic, Liverpool are bottom in terms of the, the, the transfer fees that we've paid. And we are 50% of the spend of the team that come second bottom, which uh, weirdly enough is, is Paris Saint-Germain in terms of money spent. Is it things like this that get people riled up in that it just, the perception is that Liverpool aren't prepared to spend money? Because I think Phil makes a good point, just spending money for, for the sake of it, like, you know, you look at Arsenal and the type of players that they brought in. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Do you think this is another case of Liverpool maybe waiting until they get the right type of player? Or can you understand people getting a little bit pissed off of here and it's always next summer, it's always the next window? Look, we've done a show on this last night, me and Conroy, for two hours. and You know me, um, and most people in this chat know me. I'm, I'm fairly neutral when it comes to FSG. Um as I said before, you know, I wasn't impressed with the plan to follow staff and I was definitely not impressed with £77 tickets and um, there's other things that, that's gone on at the club that I haven't been happy about. And I voice them opinions, you know. Um, and when they do things right, I, I, I don't really come out and credit them. You know, like, like I said last it's like, week. It's like my missus. When she tells, she speaks to her mate, she only tells them the bad stuff. She yeah, never tells them, yeah. oh yeah, Jamie but, Jamie but, did the dishes there tonight. You yeah. know what I mean? But you know, do you know <laughs> something? Um, sometimes I've the, I've the, I'm of the opinion that, you know, owners just do their job. They're not there to be seen or heard. You know, mm-hmm. sort of way. And, and yeah. I don't know if that's the right or wrong thing to think. But like when Liverpool win a, a European Cup or win a league, I don't think, oh, isn't it great for Linda and fucking John and, the lads, like, no, yeah. I'm only thinking, yeah, I'm only thinking of Jorgen and, and, and the players and the staff and the fans. And you know, don't get me wrong, I, I've said it loads of times, Jamie, with regards to this transfer window. I think we needed two more, and, and I base that off the fact of 
previous experience with certain players in this team. One is a forward that doesn't give a shit, um, just doesn't care. And two are midfielders for me that can't be relied upon. And, you know, there is players that are injury prone, and that's fine. But when they come back, they perform. But last season showed that those players that are there that are injury prone for me, um, when they were needed badly, they were nowhere to be seen. You know, and that's why I wanted to, purely football in sense. I didn't care if these brought in two free transfers, if they were the right players. I didn't care. They could have spent 60 million each of them. But I think anyone getting... The only thing I get with it is, Jamie, there's absolutely no issue with being upset at what's going on in that transfer window. I just think the extremity then is where I kind of get lost. It loses its translation for me. You know, like I'm on Twitter and I have chats with... There's one lad in particular, his name is Andy. and Not Andy Young from this parish because he's fucking FSG's love child. But... <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a guy called Andy. He cannot stand FSG. Cannot fucking stand them. And he absolutely goes mental every day of the week about them. But I end up having chats with him. Now, don't get me wrong. He does not like them. But he takes your points. And he'll discuss them with you. And we go through it. And we, we probably end it because I'm going for a smoke. Or he's going off to do something. And we kind of leave it then. You know the way? And he's completely and utterly FSG out. Because he's like, look, they're not investing. And, and I do say to him, they invest what they earn. They won't, they won't leverage debt, you know. And I kind of looked at it today and I thought to myself, well, hold on. Let me go back and have a look at this, right? The big thing about it is, the big thing for a lot of players is, or a lot of people is, is that when, they, when 18, 19, we won a European Cup and we didn't strengthen enough, right? And I get, a, I get that point, right? Was to, a certain, to a certain point, I get that because, you know, we go and win the league the following season, regardless of Sepp van den Berg and Adrian and all, wherever we swim, we go and win a league. But I get what they were coming from because they're basically saying oh. we did win a league, but I think if if we're not giving ourselves too much work to do, in in the, you know we're we're forward planning, and then we add Jota and we add Thiago and we add Simakas and we're all buzzing going into last season. Like anyone that's not buzzing going into last season with that squad, like if you have a major issue, I don't know what to do for you. I really don't because I thought that was a it's the best squad Liverpool have ever had, um in my, probably in my lifetime. You know what I mean? And I include the eighties in that. It was a brilliant squad they had. And things go wrong for us and stuff like that. And, you know, January came and, oh, we need to send a heart. And we, and we didn't do right. I was upset and I was really upset. It's probably the most upset I've been with FSG was January. Because I was like, you fucking need to do something here. Go and fucking do it. I don't give a fuck about it. So much so, Gav, if you remember, the manager actually for the first time ever got, publicly got visibly, came out and said yeah, And got visibly yeah. agitated over, over that. And I was really annoyed at that. And I thought they let him down really badly. And then when we come to the summer, we definitely need a centre-back. We got that. I, I, I do see where people are coming from with the frustration, Jamie. And, you know, you will get stuff like, oh, people just want shiny new things. And there is some people out there that just like just to go around saying Liverpool have signed this, that and the other. There is people like that. But for me, it's it's purely football. It's a few, it's, it's in a footballing sense. I'm, and what I'm trying to think, what, the way I think about it is, yes, I'm disappointed. Um, and I think of every right to be, it, to a certain level, right? Because I look around and I say to myself, if we'd have brought in two now, it makes next summer a lot easier. Your forward planning, because I think we get to next summer, personally, and I think you're probably looking at four to five players in that squad. Right now, that we feel are good enough to be in this squad now, as things stand on the 4th of September, that I think next summer won't be good enough. And that's where my worry will come from. Are we going to replace four or five? And the the... The evidence going back over the last couple of years would, would suggest no. 
And that's where my worry would come from. And I think that's where other people's worries would come from. You know, there is the COVID stuff. We're looking at 180 million losses over the last two years because of it. That's absolutely fine. And I think we've done very similar to what other clubs have done. Like, Chelsea have sold a lot of players. And brought in Lukaku. They needed them. They brought him in. But they've sold a lot of players and let go of a lot of players. Liverpool have done similar. Um, you know, City have renewed contracts and signed one player, you know, and sold off a couple and stuff like that. I think a lot of people are trying to balance what's going on. But at the end of the day, people are frustrated. I get that. But I, I always do say to myself, I've seen, I've seen, in my opinion, David Moore's Rick Perry make a complete mess of selling Liverpool Football Club on two occasions. One to DIC when it failed and they were ordering steel for stadiums and all sorts of stuff. And the second time with Hicks and Gillette. Okay, so I'm always wary of, of a change. And I know where people are coming from going, spend money, spend money. They've invested well in the club and the infrastructure and stuff like that. We have a brilliant, we have a really, really, really good squad. But I, I, I don't kind of go with the, we need to, so that, that for me is the mill. Because I only see it going one way, Jamie. And I could be wrong, but I only see it going one way. And for me, it's it's Middle Eastern money. And we turn, we, we basically go down to Man City or a PSG. Um thing or it's something like Russian money like like a Chelsea. Now people would say, I don't care anymore. That's what football is. That's absolutely fine. But I'm a bit wary of that because of the baggage that might come with it. And the baggage that comes with it for me would be multiplied because of Liverpool Football Club doing it as opposed to Chelsea or Man City. And that's where I stand on it. And people told me last night I was making excuses. I don't make excuses for FSG. I'm not <coughs> I don't need to make excuses. You know, it's not, it's not my interest to make excuses for them. You know, I've nothing to do with Liverpool Football Club or FSG so for me, overall, I get the disappointment. I get where people are coming from from a footballing sense. I just I draw a line at a certain point where I go, that's a bit extreme. But I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out a new owner. But I think it'd have to be invested. You'd have to invest a lot of time into looking as to who would be a new owner of Liverpool Football Club. Jono, Keith, I'll come to you because Jono makes a good point in the chat. He says, "Gav, it's extreme because this has been building up for three seasons." Keith, when you you know, with, with with that comment in mind, do you think it's possible to have a bit of middle ground in that you can question the board and the decisions and the lack of activity, but at the same time, like Gav says, it doesn't mean that because we're not signing two players that we arguably need, we throw the water out. Uh, the, what is it? The water out with the baby out with the bathwater. The there you go. Water. <laughs> Um, look, it's it's an argument that will never go away. Do you know what I mean? Unless and and even if you get Manchester City money or you get PSG sorry, money, sorry, Keith, I, just, I yeah. just have to run off for one minute. But John just says that do they invest with the end? We made millions after the Champions League when we got a hundred million just for winning the Champions League, yet spent less than ten million. John, the accounts show you that they yeah. spend what they earn. They show no you what they what they earn. They've 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 a, they've a, they've a thirty-five million quid loss. Going from nineteen twenty, and it looks like a hundred and thirty million loss from twenty twenty one. They absolutely spend what they earn. I think the big thing is, will they not throw money in on top of it? And that model has never been there for FSG. As much as we'd all like it, it's just simply not there. That's that's the fact of it. And I'm not knocking people that want FSG out. I'm not knocking people that want more investment. But I think there there is a time where you have to look and go. How does it happen? Investment in order to keep um, or, or in some way line with that model or if we're going to sell the club who are you looking to sell it to and who do we want that's all That's all I think it is John go on Keith sorry 
I forgot what I was saying. I'm sure oh, it's going okay. to be a good point. Talk sure about Arsenal. Good, I'll, I'll really think I'll be back to now. You. Look, <clears throat> walk away. Now, look, genuinely, <clears throat> it's an argument that'll never go away because if you have Man City money, PSG money, people will be arguing about you know oh, the, the human rights side of it and all. It goes against the ethos of Liverpool and the the socialism that Liverpool is is prides itself on. You know, it's. It, it's one you can't win. I don't remember, right, before social media became... It sounds like I'm bashing social media, I'm not. But before social media was a thing, whether we all gave a shiny shite about the owners of our football clubs, do you know what I mean? Was it a big thing 20 years ago? Do you know that way, like, is it a new thing that you just... People are obsessed with ownership? Because the way I look at it is, it's very hard to tell owners to sell a club. You know, you can protest against owners. You can protest against managers. And there's an owner there that'll make a decision and say, right, this is bad, bad juju, get him out. Boom, he's gone. To protest against ownership is a pointless exercise for me because, you know, FSG can't just decide on about, look, we're out. Liverpool are for sale, big sign out on the door for sale and someone's going to come on and give them four billion or whatever the price would be to buy Liverpool. So I think people get too hung up on ownership. Can can they do more? You know, it's Gav said it there. Their model isn't to pump their own money in to, to uh, do transfers. Their model is generate and spend what you generate. And people say, yeah, but we're not doing that. You know, we've seen so many comments over the last week or so and people saying, you know, well, we haven't signed anyone in three years. And they forget like last, we signed Canada and we signed three first-team players last season do you know what I mean like it's people conveniently forget this and they go back to the ones when we didn't sign someone or when we only brought in Adrian and Harvey Elliott and Seth Vandenberg can they do more or can they not is it FSG or is it Klopp as well and I said this again on the Fatback Forward on I you know Jürgen Klopp has always wanted small squads always wanted a small squad does Jürgen Klopp want to blow the squad by bringing in bodies bringing in attackers because he's not, you know, he's not going to uh, dump Divock Origi, right? For, he's not, he, he hasn't been playing him much. But if Divock Origi wants to stay at Liverpool and fight for his place, Jürgen Klopp is going to keep him. So maybe that's going to go against Jürgen Klopp bringing in another player, like as Phil suggested, uh, Ishmael Assar. You know, maybe they, they genuinely weren't looking to bring in a player for who would have cost a lot of money. I think Sarah was Watford's player of the year last year, was he like and he's gonna be a big player for them. You're not gonna get him cheap. And then you've got the AFCON issue with him as well. So maybe you know they, they were looking at what can they do and they couldn't get the player they wanted. Now you can free will saying stop blaming Klopp. Well no we won't stop blaming Klopp. It's not that I'm blaming Klopp. I'm not blaming FSG. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm saying does it you know it's not all one person. This comes down to uh, you know Jürgen Klopp, the recruitment team, the ownership. There's a budget there. They all know the budget. If the budget is you get what you you make what you get, or you can sell what you make in the transfer phase, well then they know that at the start. If that's a well known fact, well then why does it surprise anyone? They should do that business early, they should do that business quicker. So does some blame fall on Michael Edwards or whoever's in charge of that area now of the team for not getting rid of players or for demanding too high a fee for players? I think that I think that's a big thing. I think there's players in that squad that they should have looked at a year, 18 yeah. months ago, and they didn't. And I think it's coming back to, to bite them now, you know. And they tried to be too cute in the COVID. When they were getting the big fees before that, they tried to stick to them guns, and it, it sort of backfired on them. That's my take on it as well. 
See, it's, it's funny. I think it was Roy Hendo um, is back on Twitter. Uh, he's a great writer, and he, he spoke about uh, the fact that signings are fashionable. And at the minute, Liverpool aren't very fashionable. And Phil, I want to come to you because one of the things that doesn't get spoken about, because maybe it isn't deemed as fashionable, is an element of succession planning. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans maybe are questioning the depth of the squad in terms of those players that can step in and make an impact. But we've already seen at the start of this season, the likes of a Harvey Elliott come in and, and arguably want to be one of our best best players. When you look particularly, I think we're all in agreement, we're in attacker lights. But if you look at midfield, for example... And some of the options. Obviously, we've had Harvey Elliott make an impact. Another player that I think I put a tweet out today that, that I think has been forgotten a little bit. Because uh, I always prefer to talk about the football side of things. I have to be honest. I, I care about the, the finances in terms of I want my club to be successful. But ultimately, I'm a football fan. I've loved it my whole life. I prefer the stuff on the, on the green grass. And one of the players that I think has been maybe forgotten a little bit in this thirst for new signings is Kurt, the likes of a Curtis Jones who, you know, this is a type, this is a young player who is technically extremely gifted. Um, I think he was asked to play a very specific role in a Klopp side last season where the shackles were probably put on, a, put on a, a little bit because we were without our spine. But when you look at the type of player that Curtis Jones is, do you think that, that you know, you look at the graphic that's up on the screen here, and for those that, that haven't seen this before, basically the outer circle that you see um, is the 95th percentile of people that play in his position. So you can see, for example, that Curtis Jones, even at his young age, is within the 95th percentile for passes attempted, passes completed. But more importantly, he runs with the ball, he dribbles, dribbles completed, and also pressing, which we all know that Jurgen Klopp loves. So this is a young lad who hasn't been able to play alongside some of the, the as I said, the, the main spine of our team. Has had to plug gaps last season. This is a, a player that people are surely sleeping on as we go into the new season. Yeah, he's an unbelievable player. I mean, he obviously announced himself in the scene with the, the cup goal in the, the derby at Anfield. Brilliant strike. But some of his performances last season, you think you mentioned his, his technical ability. He's got great feet where... He can get himself out of tight spaces. He's got a few tricks in him. And probably the only thing that let him down maybe last season was his finishing, where I think back to the Fulham game where he made at Craven Cottage, he made that unbelievable run. Mm. He, and the finish didn't match the run. And the, there was a few moments last season where I think back to the West Brom game, that frustrating one-all draw where it's almost the start of the, the slump for Liverpool, where he was the one that gave away he got caught in possession and it was a needless corner that West Brom equalised from. But this is what happens with young players. Young players make mistakes, they learn from it. And I think you, you could throw him into the, the strongest Liverpool eleven, and he certainly wouldn't look out of place. And there is... See, here's the, the problem with some of the fringe players. They only get thrown in for League Cup games and FA Cup games, but it's such a, like, a mismatch of a team or a mix-and-match starting 11, that it's very hard to look good on those teams. Klopp always talks about rhythm. So after the international break, Liverpool have seven games in the space of 21 days. So they're not going to get to train much, but they've done all their training in the pre-season. This is where they build up rhythm. This is why he wants a small squad. This is probably then why when it comes to January and the domestic competitions, if they're still in the League Cup or 
that they enter into the FA Cup, if they get a tough draw and they have to make changes, they don't tend to fare that well. It's not that he doesn't want to win these competitions, but he also knows that he's got to give some of his frontliners a rest as well. So I can understand why he wants a small squad. And I would be interested. I'd love to know what his feelings are on, is he going to the owner saying, I need this player, I need that. But one thing we know, like we can talk about Saudi money or oil money, if Liverpool had that money, Klopp isn't joining Liverpool. Klopp is all about. He said it didn't he, about United, yeah. about potentially joining United. Yeah, and you know what? I would put United behind Chelsea and and City in that sense. Where look, the Glazers obviously we know they they have money, but United generate so much money through the revenue, the brand. Like Liverpool and Manchester United, as much as they hate each other, they have a lot in common. Where you know, they've got the history, they've got the pedigree, they've got a certain standing in, in English football, whereas Chelsea and Manchester City, you know, they'd won trophies before, but they were easier for these owners to come in and, and, and take over, whereas there might be a bit more um, of a fight to get the the hold of a, a Manchester United or Liverpool. So I definitely could never see, before Klopp obviously joined Liverpool, I could never have seen him joining the likes of a Chelsea or a City, but maybe Manchester United wouldn't have been as as far off as as the the other two. But I don't like. It's almost like Klopp is just enjoying the fact now that everyone's talking about City and Chelsea and United, and he's thinking, "I'm going to show these. I'm going to show this squad is good enough." And do you know what? It might not be good enough, but we're going to find out. And unfortunately, if something goes wrong, if if there's more injuries and Klopp has been asked about it then you can imagine the the outrage, the faux outrage that's going to be on online from from fans because we saw it last season where they didn't have any centre-halves and the ones that are always going to get the, the stick is FSG. Gav, if, I want to come to you. If you could, if you can find it, uh, Maverick S, there's a comment. He says, uh, please stop pandering to the extremes. Uh, the planning has been poor. The midfield is weak. Tiago was brought to finesse, not press. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Tiago. And I'll come to you on this one, Gav. So we've got a graphic that, that shows, uh, exactly what Tiago was brought in for. And, and I think you're exactly right. He is brought in to control the tempo of games. And again, looking at the same, uh, measurement, 95th, percentile is the outside ring you can see very quickly in terms of his pass completion final third passes um and final per, uh, third pass completed tiago is is going to be able to influence the game higher up the pitch and, and help us create but let's be honest gav we haven't even seen what tiago can do yet because he was playing in a patched work team last season where he is ultimately being made to do doggies and press and chase and harry which isn't you know naturally his game we haven't actually, I think, other than, was it for 20 minutes, half an hour against Everton? Um, he hasn't actually played with our proper starting 11 in what we would deem, quote unquote, and people might argue with me, our strongest 11. You know, when you're looking at planning and the type of players that we got coming through, the likes of a Harvey Elliott, the likes of a Curtis Jones, who the manager clearly rates, and Thiago, who was brought in to transform how we play centrally and create more centrally. These are things that we haven't even been able to see the full impact of yet. No. Um, if you remember rightly, going back to that game, and and um, I have to say this, I have to start this comment by saying I'm, this is not me talking about Thiago in in the sense of what should we do with FSG. I'm just talking about Thiago now because 
you know, people just think, oh, he's, ha- he's, he's big enough fucking Tiago now because of FSG. And I'm with most people that have grievances. I am. I, I genuinely am. If you don't have a grievance over this window, I'd be a bit worried. You know, whether it's, whether it's a political one or it's a footballing one, um, you should, I think you should have a grievance. You should absolutely have one. But Tiago, if you remember rightly, um, Liverpool lose Virgil van Dijk about 20 minutes into that Everton game, maybe a bit more. Um, or maybe a bit less actually. But anyway, doesn't matter. Um, Liverpool were all over Everton and they were pulling them apart. And I think that day was the only time you've seen Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago in the same midfield. Yep. I, yep. Even till now, even till this day. I think it's the first and only time they've started. Yeah, because Henderson went off the other day. Henderson went off the other day, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so, um, oh, but yeah, but it's, the, it's, it's the only time I think you've ever seen the three of them start together. Now, you could argue, oh, I wouldn't have Henderson, I'd have Kate, or I would have Elliot, or, you know, whatever. But you'd have to have Thiago in that side because we're talking about Thiago. It'd be pointless for you to ask me a question about Thiago and then I don't put him in a midfield three and go, look, he's on the bench. What are you talking about, Jamie? Um, but <laughs> what, what it was that day was for that, small little kind of period of time was Fabinho dominating and cutting out passes and being dominant on you know across the pitch um as as he as he does so well you had Henderson absolutely just going and going and going and letting Salah and whoever else go and do what they want and then you had Thiago that when the ball broke or there was a bit of you know competition in the midfield he was the one that could just take it and just hit 25 yard passes into space and hit 20, 30 yard passes into someone's feet and everything didn't know what was going on. And if, uh, uh, genuinely, and I thought about, I, I, I kind of steer away talking, talking about that game because I know you get very upset over it. Um, but I genuinely think if Van Dyke stays on that pitch that day, Liverpool absolutely murder everything. And I mean that they got one up after three minutes or something. And I think they genuinely murder everything that day. If Van Dyke stays on the pitch and it goes on the way it was going on. Um, he's so good. Thiago, he's so good. I think, do you know what? He went to the Euros and he came back a bit late because he went to the Euros. I'd, I'd like him to see get more football at the Euros because I think he's actually, it's actually made him a bit, um, off the pace that he didn't play as much for Spain. And then he comes back and gets a slight knock. But if he'd, if he'd have played, I think Spain played about five games in the Euros. If he, if he'd have, I think it would have been more beneficial for him to even start three of those and done 60, 70 minutes, um, three times rather than the bit part. He played um, because Luis Enrique, I don't think, fancies him. And he'd have come back, and I think being a much more of a rhythm, and I think even with that knock, he would have come back, and he would have been starting the game, I think, rather than just being substitute appearances. But he's a fantastic footballer, an absolutely fantastic footballer. And Like, if, if we, if we like any player in the team, if we keep him fit, along with other midfielders there, and we're able to rotate because we want to rotate and keep players fresh rather than it being, you know, um, enforced on us, you could, he could do anything, Thiago. He genuinely could because you see him dribbling by people. You see him just hitting passes. He's not even looking where he's looking. He's not even looking where he's going to pour it. You know, he he done a he body swerved the fella against Burnley, and your man didn't know what was going on. You know, he just and it's the way he takes that touch. He puts it across his own body while he's taking it across you. So even if you think you can get it, get it, he's not. He's pushed it too far away from me. He's so such a such a good footballer. And I pray he stays fit for him. And for us, and along with the other midfielders, but um, I said it to you before we come on, that's where my worry in midfield comes from. I think there's two, possibly three, and I include Henderson in that, that I could see missing 10 to 15 games this season, league-wise. 
because of injury. Now I'm hoping I'm completely wrong because if I'm completely wrong, our midfield is absolutely fine. And what we're talking about with regards that we need a midfielder, what I'm saying is complete bollocks. And you can tell me it is at the end of the season. But um Thiago is key. He's he's key to what we want to do. And when he signs and you see Jota, you could see what they were trying to do. They were they were literally going to try and put him and Fabinho together. And then they were just going to lash, lash Jota in with the, with the front three and go, do you know what? Come on. We have the defence. And where do you see what we have in midfield now? And where do you see what we have up front? They were literally going to blitz the league. They were going to try it. And it, they would have done it if, they, if, if, um, if injuries hadn't have curtailed that for me. Keith, I, w- I want to finish off on two players quickly before we move to winners or losers because Gav was very specific with me at the start of the show that he wanted for me to leave enough time for, for winners and losers. And I suppose it, when when I was planning out the show, the reason that I wanted to kind of highlight some of the, the midfielders is because I think there's been a lot of conversation around, do we need a striker? Do we need midfielders? And And I think when you look at maybe the breakdown of the midfielders that we've got, and the two that I want to highlight to finish on is, is Naby Keita um, and, and and obviously Harvey Elliott. But um, Naby Keita first. A lot of people have, have made the fact that we need to replace Ginny. And you look at some of the stats that we've shown, whether it's been Curtis Jones, who is a year uh, older and wiser, more more experienced off the back of last season, and, and technical ability is unquestioned. Um, you, know, you look at uh, the, the likes of Thiago, who hasn't even been able to put his stamp on this team yet. Then you look at Naby Keita, I mean, again, using the same same metrics, you can see why the data lads love Naby Keita, because he's pretty much, <laughs> he's, he's, he's ranking very high on everything from pressing through to dribbling through to passing. He nearly looks like... Um, you know, he's a bit of a stat machine. If we can keep them fit for the majority of the season, a clump of them, you know, we're not going to be, you know, without our spine. Surely we'll be able to manage the minutes of a Ginny Wijnaldum across the likes of a Cater, across the likes of a Jones, a Harvey Elliott if he's in the midfield three, an Oxlade-Chamberlain. But the key thing being that he's they're going to be playing alongside a Fabino, a Henderson, who are the spine and the heartbeat of the side, rather than having to go in and transform and help and fix a team. They're ultimately just going to be the ones that slot in as that third man, uh, you know, on a on a given match day in the Premier League. So the, the focus isn't as much on them as it was last season. Yeah, the biggest problem with Naby Keita for me is, as the graph showed there, the stats boys all love him, right? And the non-stats boys will say, yeah, but he doesn't do it enough. You know, what, what am I looking at here? Because I'm not seeing standout moments from Naby Keita. But he is consistent. If he was to play and he was producing stats like that, he'd be the player of the year because, you know, he's hitting all them metrics on the, you know, on the stats but he doesn't do it enough. And that's the thing with Naby Keita. And I don't know if, you know, we expect him much from him. He's a 53, 54 million pound sign and whatever he was. We had to wait a year to get him into the team. We all thought he was going to be this. And look, I watched him for Leipzig. I was a huge fan of him. I thought he was going to be this player that, you know, was nearly in the Michael Essien mould. He was going to be all action. He could do everything and he's going to be attacking and he's a, but he can dribble as good as, you know, Coutinho and all this stuff. I thought this was the player we're getting. It's not the player we've got. We've got a player who, on his day, can be quietly effective, but not visually excellent. Do you know what I mean? You look at players that are more on the eye, you can see them doing things, and you're like, oh, lovely. Whisper it, Keith. Would you say Ginny? Well, that's what I was going to say, Jamie. You know, I've been impressed with him in his two games this season because I think he is 
nearly Klopp is nearly trying to play him into that genie, mould him into a genie type player because he's playing deeper, he's playing a bit more conservative which I think takes away from the fact that I think he's excellent when he's pressing the defensive midfielders and he's winning the ball high up. But I think there's been a noticeable difference in his position when he has played. I think he's been more withdrawn. He's been doing more of the genie role. And if he stays fit and all the other lads stay fit, we're fine in midfield. We've got a lot of bodies. But the problem is they all have injury concerns. Every one of them, uh, except Curtis Jones, I think. Harvey Elliott, we're going to throw him in there. But, you know, all the others... Um, have injury concerns and you know that's I think people just have a fear because what happened last year we have this fear that we're going to get decimated by injuries we do have a lot of players that have injury concerns but I think we'll manage it I think if we get an abicator for a consistent period of time and some people say oh, he doesn't he doesn't he had an abicator fit last year he didn't use him I think you know a fit and forward and Kate can be an excellent alternative because I think when everyone's fit and healthy, I do think it'll be Fabinho Henderson and Thiago in big games. And then I think Naby Kate will be the next taxi on the rank. And I think Harvey Elliott has forced his way in. James Milner will get games. James Milner is not staying there to, you know, put out the cones, give them out oranges at half time. You know what I mean? He's going to get games. If we can keep all these lads fit, there's no issues in the midfield. Naby Keita can be a game changer if he stays fit and if he's available. We say all the time, best ability is availability. Naby hasn't shown that. Can I just yeah. ask you, lads, just, just throw one out to you. Obviously, we know Fabinho started in the, the deepest role at the weekend. The weekend before that, Henderson. What happens if Henderson and Fabinho are unavailable in a game? Great question. Great question. I think. I think, I think worry. I, no, I think. I think. Um, Jimmy Milner will be in there. Milner maybe, but I, I'd actually switch to a four-two-three-one. That's what I do. I think I'd put. I'd, yeah. I'd Kate. Oh, I'd, I'd put Thiago and Kate in a two, and I'd say right. Fourth job. Fourth job is protect. Um, but when you, but the main the, the massive thing about it is is that your two centre halves behind you are back. You know, don't get me wrong if. You, like Phil, if you if you said to me going to Old Trafford last season, then we did end up with two, you know, centre halves, or, or if we're going to Old Trafford in a month's time, I think. Um, but if you said to me, Milner or or Henderson and um, Fabinho were out, and by the way, Van Dijk and Matip were out, I'm going, I'm shitting myself. I'm under the fucking bed <laughs> for most of the match. But when you have centre backs like that, Phil, it just it enables midfielders and fullbacks to A, have the confidence in what they're doing and, and enables them to go and do more and express themselves more and and have that little bit of worry of them. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. uh, I think there is options there. I think it's just, and there will be players av- unavailable from, from you know, for, throughout the season as we go, but I think a huge thing in midfield is, is reliability, Keith Roy, and, and that's where I worry and that's why I've gone on about midfield for most of the summer. Um, but, but weirdly, I think the centre halves have a huge effect on what we need in midfield and what we can put out in midfield. Because if you keep it, yeah. like Keith said, if you keep those two centre halves fit, look, even if you don't, if you keep Van Dijk fit and he has to play with Kanate, Gomez, or Matip, and, and 
Van Dyke plays 38 league games. You, there won't be an issue. There won't be an issue. Can I just read this out though? Super chat from Brian. He says, um, given FSG operate on a sell to buy, shouldn't we have sold Salah or Mane this summer in order to fund a rebuild for the next few seasons? How else does it happen? Brian, I know where you're coming from with the sell to buy stuff. I, I get that because they have a, a reputation of that. Um, but I kind of look at it. The, the only, the only thing I look at there, Brian, is, is the losses that they know they're posting. I think I think if you in a normal in a normal summer they're not posting them losses and I think they have wiggle room within their model. I'm not saying the model is completely great because I don't know how sustainable it is going forward, especially with the decisions they've made this summer. But um if if they if they're going into this summer without the COVID over the last eighteen months, I think they would have spent a bit more money. And I think they're looking to consolidate now. And I'm I'm not even going to tell you they're going to spend money next summer because I haven't got a fucking clue. But um, I don't know the, the sell to buy stuff. Yeah, it has a reputation that. Although the myth is that we only signed Van Dyke and Allison because of the Coutinho money. Um, Allison, I give you, I never agree that we didn't weren't signing Van Dyke um, because of Coutinho. Never, because Van Dyke was approached and brought to Blackpool and bought Sticks of Rock and brought on all sorts of uh, the waltzers um, way before Coutinho ever threw his toys out of pram, and that's a fact. So um, yeah, that's I just wanted to throw it up because there is a super chat from Brian, but I think. Brian, the, the last kind of excuse they have is, is the COVID stuff. And I think you're going to have to, you're going to have to see some sort of change genuinely, not only because of the uproar from people, but also the, the way the squad sits now and the fact that you're going into possibly a summer next summer where I think genuinely you need four or five. Now, I want to just do one tiny bit, super quick bit of uh, Harvey Elliott's propaganda before we move on and finish on winners and losers. Just put, pop up, just off the back of the other midfielders that we were obviously comparing him to. I just want to, uh, like, I am all aboard the Harvey train. Everybody knows it. The age of the lad. And as we said before, look at how high he is ranking in terms of pressing, dribbling, shot attempts, Passes attempts, like everything you would want as an offensive midfielder. And this lad is what, 18 years of age? Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, this, this kid is special. And I know you're worried, Gab, about him get, being given too much responsibility. Um, but I, I actually see that as a positive. Footballers can, can, can sniff out an imposter. And the fact that Liverpool against Chelsea, the European champions, were, were ultimately given the ball to Harvey. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, off the top of my head, I think he had more final third passes than any player on the pitch again. I think that's nearly the third, I think that's the third game in a row. This kid is special. And when you look at the numbers that he's producing, it's no wonder that the Klopp is, uh, is, is putting so much faith in him. So for, for me, I hope everybody got a little bit of something from this that, from a midfield perspective, if we get a little bit of luck with, with injuries, I think we've got more than enough quality to, to cover the Gini loss. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the big questions will always remain about the, the attacker. And I, and I feel like it's a needless risk. Now, Gav, hmm. it's your favorite time of the week, mate. Do I have to go though. Uh, well, when would you, where would you like to go? Do you uh, want to go last? Say the last, best for last. Not forced, but not last. <laughs> I go somewhere in the middle. Well, that's if Keith comes back. Keith's pissed off because, um, people in the chat are shouting about FSG and it's upset Keith. <laughs> but, uh, we'll see if we can get him back. Well, let Phil go first. Right. Go on, Phil. You're up. So I'll go with my, I'll go with my loser first. Steve Bruce. We're probably going to pick him last week, but he almost eked out a win on Saturday until Newcastle conceded an injury time penalty. Southampton get the draw. But you just listen to the reaction at the at the full-time whistle. This is a guy that obviously is a local lad, but we were surprised when he got the Newcastle job because we kind of thought that was it for Steve Bruce. He wouldn't manage in the Premier League again unless he got 
a championship team back into the Premier League, but he got the job. Now, he's obviously endured some tough times at Newcastle, but there was no fans there last season. The fans are back and they are pissed off. They're pissed off at Mike Ashley. They're pissed off at Steve Bruce. They're pissed off at the football they have to watch. So Maximan lights it up every so often and that sends my home happy. But there's some awful dross on show when they play. And Newcastle fans, the, the peak of Newcastle in the Premier League was the Keegan era and they were the entertainers. They don't want, they don't expect to be winning the league, but they want to be entertained. And some of the stuff that they play under Steve Bruce is desperate. So I think he's going to be a regular in the losers, um, column. I don't know if he's going to rival Arsenal, but he'll certainly, um, be in the mix. In terms of winners, I've gone for Patrick Bamford because obviously he got his England call up. I know there was, uh, designs for him to play for Ireland. Mick McCarthy approached him, but I admire his honesty. He said, I don't want to play for Ireland. I never wanted to play for Ireland, even though he played an underage game for Ireland. But he said, if I play for Ireland, I'm denying an Irish kid the dream of playing for their country. So he's got his call up to England. But he scored against Burnley at the weekend against a team that he played for. And Sean Dyche basically said to him, you know, I don't really rate you. I think you have a silver spoon. You were born with a silver spoon. You went to a private school. You turned up to the club. You turned up to Burnley to negotiate the deal with your parents. He thought, Sean Dyche thought that was a bit odd. So the fact that Bamford scored against them, the fact that when he was with Leeds in the championship, I remember when they got promoted, I think TalkSport put up a tweet going, will Bamford be good enough for the Premier League? And straight away, he replied to them saying, here we go. And he banged in goals last season. He's got his new contract because sometimes footballers just need the arm around the shoulder and Bielsa's has given him the love to say, yeah, you're my man. I'm bringing in all these other players, but you're my main man up front. And look at the benefit it's been for Leeds. He's got his England call up. So that's why I've picked him as my winner. So, yeah, great show. Great to see him in the England squad as well. I think it's been, uh, I think it's been long overdue. Um, I have to actually just quickly uh, make a shout out to, to Ray Cox. You just seen the comment that's come up there. Um, so I know Ray from back home used to play, uh, play against Ray. Uh, great know? play. I know, I know, Ray. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, he's a he's a he's a, he's a mate from from back on the Wirral. Uh, played with him for years. Played with and against him. Uh, so I think I speak for everybody when I say fair play to you for watching us while your missus is in labour, and I hope everything goes well, pal. Fucking Send uh, all of our love. Has to look at what his missus is in labour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I have a can you... for Ray and his missus? Oh, yeah, Ray. Of course you can. Of course you can. Hey, Ray needs a few cans right now. Okay, yeah. Ray, if you ever need a can, you just drop by us and we look after your brother. <laughs> oh, here we go. Well, I tell you what, that was quick because I've just seen Ray in the comments again saying, "Yes, my son is here." Reggie Cox, seven pound ten ounces, future Liverpool number nine. So that was a uh, there was a quick couple of minutes there. It was you a short labour. <laughs> Reggie, you want to be cheap because FSG don't fucking pay, so I want to be a cheap deal. Congratulations, mate. Delighted oh, for you, Keith. Winners, winners and losers for you, Keith. Ah, uh, winners and losers. Yeah, uh, my winners are Manchester United. Um, I fucking hate Manchester United. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I'm not particularly going to gas them up here as winners either. Um, they won the transfer window. And they beat Everton, who usually win the transfer window. Didn't win it this year. But they usually win the transfer window. And it does, you know, you don't get a parade out and you don't get a trophy for it. But all joking aside, they're the 
only team I think that done the nest not even the, I'm not gonna say the necessary business, but that their fans will be happy with. I think they're the only maybe big team. I think no, Chelsea there's lot, fans. There's a, lot, there's a lot of fans saying that they're they're, they're rating their window as a seven out of ten. A seven out of ten. Yeah, because yeah, well, sticking well. on Ronaldo jerseys and all this sort of yeah, show. Well, you joking me? Only after they took them out of being out of born. Yeah. That's yeah. it, exactly. Which someone pointed out, they're born in Adidas jerseys with Ronaldo on them and Ronaldo only played with them on that weird Nike. So where are they even getting Ronaldo on these new jerseys? Weird bunch. Anyway, the winners this week, Manchester United, because they went in, right, and they they got, a, they needed it, in my opinion, right, just my opinion, they needed a dominant centre-half to play alongside Harry Maguire because... Uh, the Swedish lad Lindelof probably not you know dominant enough I think they needed the dominant centre half they went and got Raphael Varane who I do not think is a dominant centre half so they've made a balls of that they didn't need to buy a right winger because Mason, uh, Mason Greenwood has come on the scene they spent 90 million two, year day, two years trying to sign Jaden Sancho not too keen on that one they needed a central midfield, a holding midfield player, because I think their glaring weakness is they don't. I think they're a holding midfield player away from really challenging. And the fact that their manager's a bit cat as well, but they're a holding midfield player away. And then they fell into the Ronaldo, the, the, the glamour and the nostalgia of the Ronaldo deal. Now, I'm not having a dig at them, you know what I mean? Like I'm saying I wouldn't have bought Varane. I think they should have bought Sergio Ramos if they were looking for a centre-half, because I think he's the leader that their defence could have done with. I think Varane is a side man. I think he's a, a good number two centre-back. I don't know if he's, he's going to be a success, but he could be. He could prove me wrong. Man City only signed Jack Grealish. They were screaming for a centre-forward. They didn't get it. I think their, their transfer window probably, you know, not happy with that. Chelsea, I think, needed a centre-back. They didn't get Kunde done, did they, in the end? No. I was training last night. So they got Saul in on loan. I don't overly think they need it so, but they can afford to take that gamble. Good signing. Lukaku, they did need. They got that one in. But I think they were a defender. Right? Arsenal spent £150 million and looked worse than they did before they spent £150 million. I don't know how they managed to do that, but fair play to them. Spurs have done all sorts of show. I don't know where they're at. Um, they've signed players and loaned them back. And, you know, Spurs are Spurs. I don't really like them. Leicester have done good business. But, you know... United, I think, are the only ones who... I think the Ronaldo one, the nostalgia of Ronaldo has really lifted the fan base there to make them think that they're going to win it again, that they're really contenders. And it's one they got over City because City were looking to sign him. This stinks of an Alexis Sanchez again, where they seen a player they City wanted to see. Ronaldo oh, yeah. wanted to go to United and he fucking... Is it Mendes that's his agent? Yeah. Rang yeah. City and said, "What do you, do you fancy?" And City went, "Yeah, because they seen an opportunity to get one over." Exactly, United. and I think that's been overplayed. The whole Man City thing was Listen, overplayed. All he's, he's he's doing he's doing fucking Instagram posts with PS Alex. Yeah. This is for you, like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if it was for he was him, well, he was never going to City. He played City the same way City got played over Alexis Sanchez. You know, Sanchez knew he could get the money at Manchester United, and and 
and City were all over him and stuff like that. He was never going to Manchester City for me. I would have, it would have been the crack because he goes to City and then, you know, City start doing welcome to Manchester signs and all sorts of mess. We would have had, we would have been all in the cans watching it going, this is, this is deadly. Um, only after we watch Phil, uh, doing his, in this commentary on the Paralympics, we would have switched over then to see what was going on, um, with the, with the the United and the City boys, but he was never going there. That's, he was never going there. And I'll tell you why it dragged on too long. I know it was only probably yeah. 24, 36 hours, but it dragged on too long. If City wanted him, they would have put the money down. And if he wanted City, he would have went, yeah, deal done. I'm off to Lisbon and I'll do me medical and I'm done at City. But as soon as it came out, oh, City, you're in talks with him. You knew. Where are you in talks yeah. from? You don't yeah. talk to fucking Cristiano Ronaldo. You say, what do you want? And you pay him. Yeah, and City way. don't have to, you know, they're not a team that have to, oh, we need to get this money in or not. They can go and make a deal happen. They yeah. can make it happen fast. Yeah, I kind of feel that. I kind of feel Guardiola didn't want him though. Like, yeah, R- Ronaldo doesn't fit into the way Guardiola wants to play football. Where no. he's going into another season where effectively he doesn't have a striker, and mm. people say you need to replace Aguero, but sure, Aguero didn't play last season. But what even watching Ronaldo tonight playing for Portugal? I know, look, he's going to be at the headline tomorrow because he scored the two goals. But there was so many incidents where you thought, Jesus, like. He was taking shots from stupid. He was getting frustrated. Even the joke going around now with United is that he's going to take penalties off Bruno Fernandes. And he missed his penalty tonight. He took a free yeah. kick tonight as well. And I, I love I, seeing him stepping up for free dis- kicks. It's great. I disagree slightly. I think he would have been an absolute machine at Man City. I think they have all... He scored like, goals are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, because Ronaldo Ronaldo's reinvented himself probably a year or two after he went to Real Madrid where he just maybe a bit more than that, where he turned him, he turned into a, a, a striker, a central striker. And he didn't want to run channels and he didn't want to fucking chase things down and he, he, don't, he doesn't want to hold the ball up. He wants to get it into his feet, all right, yeah, on a half turn and then see where it goes from there because he's still not slow. But I think with, with C, with the amount of movement they have and the amount of, you know, runners they have, I think, I think it would have absolutely eaten the league alive at Man City. That's my opinion. I think with United, I think anyone telling you that he don't he doesn't improve United or, or give them more of a chance, I think is deluded. But um like people will point well, Ollie, people will point to Ali Gunnar Solchar, but Ali Gunnar Solchar's MO was to get a certain eleven on the pitch with a certain set of tactics and go for it. And I think the thing that will benefit United is that they used to sit back because teams weren't afraid of them. I think the fear factor that Ronaldo will bring, I think, will negate their need or their you know, they need for that defensive midfielder because teams used to come at United and United used to hit them on the break. I think that fear factor now probably negates that, that need for that or the over-reliance on this defensive midfielder that they keep going on about. I think it's a really smart move, both football and wise and, and finance wise. Like they went up about eight, nine percent on the, on the stock exchange and that all goes into the club and the Glazers wrap it up and put it in an envelope and walk off with it. That's how they work and that's why United get upset. But, um, He's a fantastic. Oh, they don't get upset now. Not that they signed. No, they won't. Just... You see, if it comes to March and, and they're ten points off the top and they don't have a chance of winning the league, they'll be they'll be jumping into all traffic again and telling you it's about the Glazers and the, you know the Glazers out. But at the moment, stay with our boys. You're already. Oh, Keith, your your losers, uh, your loser, I should say. I, I I would have picked him, so I'm glad you did. Um, is is linked to obviously the signing of Ronaldo, and we've got yeah. a couple. We've got a couple of tweets that would uh, would back up your reason for picking this guy. Who did you pick? 
I picked Gary Neville and the hypocrisy that goes around it. Um, you know, Gary Neville was screaming at the start of the... Well, Gary Neville's doing a lot of screaming for the last few months. You know, we spoke about the whole protesting a bit against the Glazers and all. And we see a tweet up here, you know, Varane Kane and Sancho equals toil, right? Where can you know you finish with the right side? Well, you've got Ferran, you've got Sancho, and you've got Ronaldo over Harry Kane. So you take it then that Gary Neville is confident that Manchester United win the title. Now that was when was that? That was back in May. So well, he's, he's got these ideas, and he's he's buoyant, and he's cocky, and he's you know he's this and he's that. We then see this uh, four days ago. No more excuses, Gary Neville. Here we go. And he says, um, what's it? I can't read. Um, Is it enough for them to challenge for the title and win the title off the back of Ronaldo sign? And his second yeah. comment is, I don't quite feel it is. So, you know, Gary Neville has been a cheerleader and looking for money, you know, compete with Man City, compete with Man City. Well, you know, I tongue-in-cheek use Manchester United as the winners and sort of slated them for their business. They, they've backed their manager, as they always sort of do in fairness, it just gets ignored. They've backed their manager, they've backed their mouthpieces in the media, like Gary Neville, you know, gimme Varane, gimme Sancho, gimme Kane. Well, are you trying to tell me that Harry Kane is any better of an option than Cristiano Ronaldo? I don't think he is. I think Cristiano Ronaldo's he's on the decline. I don't think he's the player he was. I don't think he's the player he was five years ago. People say, oh, he still gets goals in Italy. I think he made Juventus worse, in my opinion. Um, I think he's very much a, about himself. He always was. But I think, you know, other players in the Juventus team suffered playing with Ronaldo. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. But Harry Kane is not an upgrade on Ronaldo. Do you know what I mean? So he's getting a like for like in what he's looking for there. And I just find that, you know, the hypocrisy of, of these fellas that show for this and that. And then Rio Ferdinand is, you know, guaranteeing league titles and all this, you know. And then it soon changes because... It's not just fans like ourselves or people on Twitter that get sucked into the transfer window and all that sort of stuff. You can win a transfer window and do fuck all in the season as it, as it goes on, as it's proved. You know, we've done shit in transfer windows and won the league. So, you know, you can't take that for granted. But I just think the pressure now is on, is on United because I don't know what you three think or what people listening think. If they don't win the league this year, that's an abject failure in my opinion. Anything no. but the league is a failure for that team. Now. They have the defensive midfield, I think, to fall back on, in my opinion. I think that's what's been thrown out there by not only, um, you know, Manchester-based journalists, I think United-based, whether they're lads on YouTube or in the media or wherever it might be, I think that the whole thing about the defensive midfielder is is what they're going to hang their hat on. Well, Gary never said it himself, though, I, in the tweet, though, Gav. He said yeah. it himself. You get yeah. me the, those three players, which they've yeah. arguably got yeah. swapping Kane for Ronaldo. Yeah. He said it himself, and now the, the, the story's changing. Yeah, the story is changing, but um, they won't care if the story's changing because in eight months' time, even if you pull up them tweets, he'll turn around and go, yeah, but uh, I did say that. But I, I said it in the, in the thought process of we would sign a central midfielder. You know, like, I'm not being funny with you. Any season you Manchester United don't win a league title is a failure. I don't give a fuck who's in charge. I don't care who do you have in their squad. They're Manchester United. And they've told you that for the last 25, 30 years. They've told you we're Manchester United. Yeah. We're this, we're that. And, and Liverpool are a bit the same. Like we, like we're always, we're always laughed at because we go into seasons going, this is our year. We didn't really fucking say that this is our year, but we always went in with the hope that we could win a league title and people would laugh at you. You know, you've spent the last 25 years telling you that they're Manchester United, the biggest club in the world, they're this, that, and the other. So why don't give me the excuses 
Manchester United and Manchester United. And I watched, I watched them um, going off topic a bit here on a, on a tangent. I watched something that you told me to watch, Jamie. It was the overlap with Gary Neville and Roy Keane. Mm. And what Manchester United are missing, not like not actually missing is Roy Keane, but they're missing something like Roy Keane. His standards, his yeah. will to win, his drive, um, unbelievable. Now he's a, he's weird. He's a weird guy, I think, right? He's fucking mad, right? But when you listen to him talking, even sometimes you can forget the words he's saying, but the way he's saying it, the context he's saying it in, that's what Manchester United are missing. And that's when people, when I, when I hear people for the last 25 years going, you know, we're Manchester United and we're this and we're that. I look at them now and where they are, and then I look at Roy Keane and go, yeah, that's what you had. And that's what you still have, and that's why the likes of Roy Keane and I get frustrated over you. But any season that Manchester United, the self-proclaimed best club in the world, don't win a league title, it's a failure. doesn't matter. Last season was a failure. So was the year before and the year before. I don't give a fuck about Mourinho, Van Hal, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, or Moyes. That's nobody else's business. You're Manchester United, and they should be winning titles by their own by their own reckoning. So Neville can say what he wants, but he always has a cop-out. You know what I mean? Because he gets too, he gets too, not even tribalistic, he gets too emotional over Manchester yeah. United. And then when the emotion actually settles down and he looks at it, he realises what he's done and then tries to backtrack. You know, like he nearly, he nearly bleeding ran out of um, Anfield the other night, I think, when Redknapp asked him about no more excuses. You know, um, yeah. but that's just the way it is. The Manchester United they should be winning titles. That's what they're telling you. Why well, can't they tell you that now? Yeah, but the talk is cheap now. Talk is cheap, you know. It's if they're backing them to that extent, and you know, it's not they're not going to cruise that any title. Whether Liverpool are there or thereabouts or not, Man City are not going anywhere. Chelsea are not going anywhere. If you know you were to come, let's say fourth. No, I'm saying they're going to come fourth. Let's say they come fourth. That's a catastrophic season for them. With that backing, and you know, they, they they can't blame the Glazers. Is sort of what I'm getting at. They cannot blame the owners. They can blame them for taking the money out of the club, but they're giving them yeah, their but, fancy but shiny the, toys. But the fallback is always there that if they don't get success, the the argument always is we didn't get the success because yeah they backed us, but if they backed us more, yeah, i.e. the money they've taken out of the club and put it in, we would have been successful. Yeah. There's always that fallback. It's yeah, an insurance policy they have. It's funny that you said about the Roy Keane, Gav, because I'll, I'll do my winners and losers quickly and then I'll give you the, the, the floor to, to finish. My winner was actually Roy Keane. Um, and, and for the exact reasons that you said, for anybody that hasn't seen Roy Keane doing the overlap with Gary Neville, I, strong, yeah, it was genuinely like it, 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 one of the best hours, most entertaining hours I've spent in a long time. Uh, Roy Keane, whatever you think of him, I mean, look, I'm I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm not afraid to say he's one of my heroes. How he played the game, how he approached the game, how he speaks about the game, um, and I just found it really interesting. Like you said, Gav, he's just a born winner. All he thinks about is winning, competing. That's it. Just total, total razor, razor focused. And I just think it's refreshing in a world where you have media trained people, you know, within an inch of their life. You know, they don't like to show their their personality a lot of times for fear of of kind of I don't know reaction on social media or whatever. It's Roy Keane does not give a bollocks and it was just very very refreshing to see somebody like him talk so openly so for anybody that hasn't watched it i strongly advise that you do now my loser of the week but can i say go and watch it go on. without without he talks an awful lot about manchester united and what he's done but but watch it without the manchester united element in your head because that's what yeah. i try to do because sometimes you watch it off yeah you just walk great fuck off you know what i mean mm. but watch it without that united element just listen to the words he's saying 
and why he signed them. It, it, I thought it was unbelievable. It was really, really good. Why they're walking in the woods, that was a bit weird, but go on. <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing was as well, it's, it's when uh, Gary Neville would, would ask Keane about certain situations and try to understand his thought process. And ne- Neville, you know, he, he's, he's a smart guy. You could see a couple of times when Keane went through his thought process on certain situations, Neville was like, ah, yeah, yeah you've, you've got a point there. You've got yeah. a point, you know. Uh, so now that was, that was very good. My loser of the week... Um, is Mike Dean. And the reason that I'm picking Mike Dean, uh, for anybody that saw the game, Manchester United Wolves, we can all pretend that we don't watch these games hoping for them to lose. I absolutely was uh, doing just that. And we were all expecting it. Scaldy goal towards the end. You knew it was coming. Wolves could have scored 10 comfortably. Mike Dean is looking at the Paul Pogba challenge. He's two yards away, right? It happened very quickly. You know, maybe you could forgive him a little bit for the speed at which the, the, the tackle happened. But for whoever it is to then watch the monitor back, you can literally see Neves's shin pad move. You can see his shin pad move from his leg and the fact that Pogba did not touch the ball. How anybody collectively can look at that situation that has such a big impact on not only the game, it gives Manchester United another spawny win. It could have a big impact come the end of the season, you know, in the race for top four or, or trophies. It beggars belief to me that a collection of referees can look at that and not give a foul. So whether it's Mike Dean or his mate up at Stockley Park, they are my losers of the week. Yeah. I think looking at that, though, looking yeah. at that incident, I think the fact that Neves reacts, it's a delayed reaction. Also, as well, VAR is brought in for clear and obvious errors. So they've obviously decided that's not a red card incident. So you got to let it go. There's this new directive to let a lot more go. Um, so I actually wasn't that aggrieved. You didn't think it. it was a foul, no? I At the time, I didn't because I thought Neves kept running. It was almost like he decided after the ball had gone, he's like, shit, I better do something here. And he kind of went down holding his leg. And then, like, it was desperate from the keeper, by the way. Um, mm. it's, it summed up the day for Wolves because they, they battered United for a good hour. I, I mean, I, I always love watching Adama Traore just run riot. Like, he's just, he's absolutely terrorized United in that first half. Like, Jesus, Fred was just, uh, gasping after a few minutes trying to catch up with him but he, he plays yeah. like me and my son play with him on FIFA when we play FIFA mm. together we just give the ball to Traore and he just, rapid, he just oh. runs in a straight line past everyone it's yeah. great little water boy <laughs> yeah but yeah I I, I get like my, Mike Dean wouldn't be my favourite referee because he, he tends to make it all about him, himself I, I, I understand people saying if it was the other way around and it was it was Neves and Pogba would the decision have gone the other way. It's it's a tough one. Like I mean, I was watching the Ireland game tonight and some of the VAR stuff. Again, it was a throwback to you're only as good as your officials. So you have the technology, but if you don't have the right officials, you're not gonna get the best use of VAR because it was farcical in the Ireland game tonight. Gav. I want to let you finish because uh, I'm just mindful of the fact we're now at half 11, so I went way over time, so apologies for that. And I want to let you have your uh, your moments talking about uh, your favourite club. So your winners and losers of the week, please. Winners are people that make bronze <laughs> statues. Um, <laughs> so anybody out there that makes bronze statues, you've won this week because Manchester City 
brought out um, a statue of Kenny Daglish made out of paper mache. <laughs> and um, another one, I don't even know who it is. You know, I think it's meant to be Vincent Company, but uh, it's not. He looked like Pinhead. Do you remember Pinhead, the horror movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, they didn't make his man. head big enough. That's the problem. It's like whoever had done it is like, geez, he does have a big head. But I don't want to put a big head on the outside of the stadium. It'll look, it'll <laughs> yeah, look a bit yeah, much. Yeah. So it doesn't look like him then. I think they fucked so, up. Why, why are they even getting statues? I, I don't know. I, I, legend, and, then I, I, and then I was looking for the Aguero one because how the fuck could them two go when Aguero doesn't? But anyway... Um, anybody that's out there in the bronze game, you're the winner this week because Manchester <laughs> City have literally game. showed you that bronze is the way to go. Um, especially if you want some, some, uh, statues and stuff like that. So bronze, people with bronze are the winners. If, if you're, if you're investing in stuff, throw it on bronze. Don't throw it on paper mache. It won't work. See, you've ruined it for everyone. Losers. What about the Ronaldo? Before you go on to your losers, what about that Ronaldo? Oh, remember the Ronaldo? A few years ago, that looked like well, that, Queen. The, the bronze, the bronze, the bronze, um, <laughs> The bronze, the bronze industry took a massive hit. It um, took a dip after, then, didn't it? Big dip. Um, but then it came back strong when um, Bob Hazy uh, and um, Emily Mills were having a jockey. Yeah, yeah, that it came back strong there. It kind of doubled down, and, and the bronze is back. So listen, just get if you're getting a statue, just use bronze. It's, we've done it for years. You know what I mean? Like where I lived, they have a brilliant statue of the horse Arkle. And it's amazing looking. It's bronze. And I, I kind of, I went by it the other day and went, imagine that was paper mache and it looked like it's a company. And <laughs> Maybe you had just, skin just, in this game. It just, it just doesn't work. So bronze is the way to go. Uh, losers of the week, Arsenal Football Club are the losers of the week ding, again. Ding. Um, lads, <laughs> Chuck, all right. lads, lads, listen, listen. Brentford, right? Brentford was bad, right? Right? <laughs> Chelsea was embarrassing. This at the weekend was just, this is a wind up now. Do you know the funny thing is, Gav, as soon as a couple of goals went in, I, I, I thought of you automatically. Oh, that was... <laughs> it's a fucking wind-up, right? It's a wind-up, right? They have one shot. Let me run you through this so people don't think I'm just absolutely just levelling at them because I, I was too busy today to think of somebody else. They would one shot in the fifth minute through um, Saka, right? They can see the goal where they're six-foot-plus centre-back watching a ball looping for 25 yards across the box, is beaten in the air by uh, Gundogan. And the goalkeeper forgets that he's allowed, like, you know, move his arm towards the ball rather than just letting him hit him and hope it doesn't go in. Okay? The second goal, the second goal, watch it back, right? There's about 14 deflections. They're all trying to kick it. They're all falling over, right? It's, and then there's a fella lying on the edge of the box as if he's had to be sniped, right? And your man taps her in the goal, right? The third one, Grealish, doesn't beat anybody. Beats nobody with the ball. He's given the ball. He runs down the, into the box and he just pushes it to his left. And when he kicks it, the goalkeeper is about three feet outside his near post. And Jesus has time to take a touch and put it in the goal. Rodri scores. Nobody pressing the ball. Nobody. Right. And then you're 4-0 down. Like, try to defend. And there's another ball in the box. And Ferran Torres is in there and he's heading balls in from six yards out and then you've Granite Jack right <laughs> who when you're 1-0 down I think at the time 2 maybe I think we've been 2 2, two yeah. <clears throat> Man City are 30 yards from your goal on the sideline and the ball breaks and instead of taking two steps like any normal being human being would to tackle he decides I'm going to jump six feet 
in the air, you know, across the ground with my legs fucking two feet off the ground and then get up and claim. They have the audacity to claim that what is wrong with that? Like, that's your <laughs> captain, right? That's given the V's to the, the crowd before, wanted to yeah. leave on the verge of going to Rome and he's still the fucking captain. And when you're down, you're tuning down and he's still going and doing that sort of stuff. And what's our Teta doing? Fuck all. That's what he's doing. He's standing there and he has people on a board level now telling you to believe in the process and all that. They are a fucking piss take at this stage. They're a yeah. piss take. And that's the only word I can use. And if they lose next week, I'll be back because Arsenal will be losers of the week again next week. And every time they lose, they'll be losers of the week because I genuinely can't get my head around the fact that fair enough, you get beaten, right? But to be seven, 12 minutes into a game and be 2 0 down. And to be 20 minutes into a game, two nil down and a man down when your captain gets sent off, when you're looking for someone to lead, when you're struggling, right? And the goals they concede and the type of goals they concede is absolutely and utterly criminal. And you can, I'll, I'll blame Jackie, I'll blame the defenders, I'll blame the goalkeeper, I'll blame wherever it might be. I'll blame Lacazette because he doesn't seem, inter- or not Lacazette, Abamian because he doesn't seem interested yeah. since he got his contract. You can blame all of that stuff, but there's still a guy on the sideline standing there looking at random things in stadiums rather than the 22 players on the pitch and trying to affect it. He has no credibility to be Arsenal manager. He never did. And I'm asking Arsenal again, right, directly. If you're watching, Mr. Arsenal, if you're watching, please make sense of this situation and stop fucking letting that fella be in charge of your club on a day-to-day basis because it's absolutely and utterly criminal. Appealing to Bob Wilson and Charlie George to do something about this. Yeah, so one of them, anybody, could, has anyone got Paul Merson's number? But he wants, he wants to be, he wants to be the director of football. He said, Paul Merson. He's an absolute head of the ball. He's just what you think things couldn't get more crazy. Do you know what? If Arsenal sack Arteta and make Paul Merson the director of football at Arsenal Football Club, they would be the winners of the week every week for me, regardless of results. William cancelled his contract. William, William cancelled his contract. Twenty million or something left on his contract, or twenty-five million. Cancelled yeah. it. It's gone back to Brazil. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Bad things have gone. <laughs> Hector Bellerin tried to. He's taken a pay cut to go and play for Real Betis now. Yeah. To be honest, Bellerin is everything that's wrong with Arsenal because he's not a good player. Um, you should actually try and dig out Cedric Suarez's stats against Man City if you want a good laugh. A lot of a lot of zeros in um, a lot of columns. Jacka is getting a new contract, by the way. Yeah, of course he is. Madness. Of course he is. Like, it's it's. Just, I, I just can't get my head around them, and and people think I'm having a laugh at Arsenal. I'm not because I've told you loads of times before. Me growing up, football mid eighties onwards, Arsenal, United, Liverpool for me were yeah. the three clubs with. As much as you didn't like United and Arsenal, were kind of oh, fucking Arsenal again. They were the three clubs with the tradition. Um, the history, the class, the players—they were the they were the, the big ones, you know. When when do you remember when the big match used to be played on UTV on a Saturday every yeah, so often? Yeah. It was always Arsenal United or, or Liverpool. On. Yeah. So that's that's what's kind of inbuilt in me. And when I look at what's going on now, I just and I shouldn't care, but I look at it and go, "This is a fucking you're having a laugh now." I did, I, I watched that game on Saturday and I just couldn't get over what I was watching. I genuinely couldn't from start to finish. And we have the the benefits of the all or nothing documentary coming out as well. So that uh... <laughs> can you go and watch that in the pictures? Because I'd actually I'd actually go, I'd go to the pictures and watch that. Can, can the four of us go to the pictures and watch that? Yeah, we'll do a watch it. along. Do a watch along. Yeah, the four of us will go and watch that in the pictures. 
<laughs> look look Madness. forward to it right that's enough from us uh, big thank you as always to Gav Phil and Keith Gav as always what do we have coming up for the rest of the week um, tomorrow is Carnage with Grizz Friday is Sports Unplugged with Avi we're off Saturday we're back Sunday for the Fatback 4 which will be a quiz um, I'll run the lads through that pages. Nice. I think Monday we're not too sure we're going to do a forum on Monday we might give the lads the week off because we've loads of other stuff coming up so we're going to try and maybe plan that on Monday um, Tuesday me and Andy are going to do a Gavin Andy's just a random chat for an hour and a half Could, you don't know where it's going to go and yeah. uh, we'll be back with this on Wednesday in, in the build up to, to Leeds and then we move on from there Fantastic. Uh, big shout out, uh, as always, to, to Sam Maguire, who's been helping us with the analysis. Um, if you are into data, insight, those type of things, make sure you go and check out his Patreon page. Uh, a lot of in-depth work goes into that. So I highly recommend you go check it out. Massive thank you, as always, to everybody in the chat. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to, to chatting to you all every Wednesday to kind of get a pulse check on how Liverpool fans are feeling. And you definitely didn't disappoint tonight. So as always, your support for this show and all of the Tripper shows is very much appreciated. If you could, before you leave, leave us a little like and make sure you leave us your comments under the video uh, in terms of the show, in terms of FSG, uh, in terms of anything that we've discussed tonight in terms of who you think will be big players for us, whether it's midfielders, attackers, anything. Just tell us what's on your mind. We love reading all the feedback that comes in. So with that, I hope you've all enjoyed the show. Make sure you enjoy the rest of your week and we will be back with you again next week on the Midweek Fix. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.